Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today on the Debunking Economics podcast, a subject dear to Steve Keen's heart, house prices. When will they fall? We talked to Russell Quirk, a one real estate expert who believes house prices will always rise over time and says experts who predict otherwise are just doomsayers. So we pitch him against the biggest doomsayer of them all, Steve Keen and Russell Quirk, today on the podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So can you believe the average property price in the UK is now almost £280,000. That means they've gone up 11% in the last year. Detached houses in this new era of working from home have gone up over 14% because we all want our own space. Uh, They are now well over £380,000. In Australia, property prices in Sydney rose 27% last year, 27% in a year. So if you bought a house more than a year ago, surely you're never going to lose out on that money that you've put into property. But will it last? Well, Russell Quirk is a UK commentator on real estate. He founded one of the early online real estate providers, eMove, and he has years of experience in the real estate industry, both online and in person. Yes, they still do that. And uh, he joins me and Steve on the podcast this week. So, 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 Russell, you reckon you'll never lose out on real estate. Prices will always keep going up. Is is that your position? In, in, in Britain, I think generally so. Um, and, and there's a kind of bunch of reasons for that. I mean, particularly in Britain, because there is such limited supply. You know, small island, albeit only about 10% of the UK is built on, ironically enough. But there's there's this imbalance, and always has been really since the 1950s, since Macmillan, this imbalance whereby there's just not enough new stock and not enough resale stock to supply demand um, and and for a bunch of reasons, whether it's because the population is getting older, living longer, uh, positive net immigration and so on. Um, But I think what we've seen in the last 20, 25 years or so, of course, is the ridiculously low cost of money fueling affordability. Mm. And, and that has led, without question, with, with kind of a couple of interruptions. I mean, the, the, the interruptions have been kind of early 90s and then, of course, the financial crisis of 2008-9, which, which were extreme events. Apart from those two blips in history, house prices really since the 1970s have continued to increase. I think the, the, the question is, how much do they go up by? I, I don't see this as a binary argument whereby mm. if house prices aren't going up, at 10% per annum, they must be, they'll, they'll be dropping. You know, of course, there are shades of grey. Well, I tell you, you're going to have no argument from Steve uh, on the idea that, uh, you know, the cheap availability of money has had a, a big part to do with this. But bef- before we get Steve onto that, if everyone thinks prices are going to go up and that, you know, we that's the accepted wisdom, then surely everyone's going to bail into property. That's going to push prices up even higher. And that is how markets overheat, this herd mentality. So isn't that going to suggest that at some point that herd mentality 
is going to break. Well, the, 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 the market will, and look, I'm, I'm a huge uh, advocate of free markets where they kind of look after themselves. You know, we're, we're seeing interest rates in the UK increase, you know, from 0.1% bank base rate to 0.75% now. That's happened over the last three or four months. It doesn't seem to have taken any heat out of the market. It'll be 1% by the end of the uh, week, by the way. Well, yeah, yeah, probably. But I still remember when interest rates were 15%. So, mm. you know, relatively speaking, money is still ridiculously cheap. So, look, the, 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 will, will prices temper? Will there be a dilution in terms of the rate of growth? I think that's that's inevitable. But, but there are so many other competing factors now that are driving demand. And one thing that the people, I think, underestimate, and again, particularly in the UK, is the culture of being a home owner. Now, I, I, I've been in the property industry now for 25 odd years. And believe it or not, despite all my other endeavors around running a PR business and so on, I still sell a house every now and again. So I, I still have an account that allows me to go and sell a property. And, and, and I'll tell you, the, the appetite from buyers of all sorts, whether they're first-time buyers, still buy-to-let investors, you know, they've been bashed relentlessly by the UK government over the last few years, but they're still there at the trough feeding off this property market enthusiasm. So I, I just don't see it abating. Do, do I see house prices in this country increasing by double figures every year infinitum? No, of course not. But do I see house prices increasing by 4 to 5%? And obviously, depending on what inflation does, whether that's a real... Yeah, I was going to say, if inflation's running at 10%, then that is well, that is a loss, isn't it? Is, of course, but, but, I, I, but I do. What I definitely do not see... And, and I have taken bets on this over the last two years because, of course, all of the experts in early 2020, as the pandemic was unfolding, everybody, you know, Capital Economics, the Bank of England, Savills, Knight Frank, HSBC, everyone, everyone said house prices must now drop because. And, and of course, what we've seen is house prices in Britain increased by over 20% since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, OK, let's get Steve into this then. So, Steve, uh, I mean, easy money is a big chunk of this, isn't it? The fact that interest rates are so low, uh, it's easy to get a loan. Uh, that's surely pushing prices and maybe uh, you know australia is an exception i mean they are astronomical the figures of growth in in australia maybe in britain uh, it's a it's a little bit more controlled what's your take well it's it's uh well, th- first of all two things uh you're saying not so much house prices are always going to increase because i have a harder time arguing against that what you're saying is that house prices always increase faster than consumer prices or faster than incomes and i think that has has to have ultimately a use by date uh, unless people are buying uh, you know buying houses with money from mars so that's 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 one uh, general background thing uh, the other is that house prices haven't risen because of easy money they've risen because of bank money and that's a very big difference because if you take a look at the level of uh, of debt in the uk and you go back uh, uh, and, you, and you look at the house price volatility as well. Um, banks weren't allowed to lend to households for buying a house. It had to be lent by building societies instead until a deregulation by Maggie Thatcher in 1982. And one of the most remarkable, and you know, my long time, we'll get into this later, but my argument is what causes rising house prices is rising levels of new mortgage debt. That's fundamentally your, your driver. I can explain that later. But one of the most amazing charts I put together when I when I did my work on uh, uh, can we have another financial crisis back in 2017 was a Bank of England data series going back to 1880. 
and it showed the level of private debt compared to the level of, uh, of, of, of uh, GDP. And literally from 1980 until 1982, the level of private debt, government, uh, house, uh, household debt, uh, sorry, household plus corporate debt, the combination, never exceeded 73% of GDP. After that regulation, the level rose from 68% of GDP in 1982 to 188% of GDP in 2010. And that is the engine that enabled the bubble in house prices to occur because that was giving people more mortgage debt to buy houses with. And that's that's what we call history, but that's only been after deregulation by Maggie Thatcher in 1980. So that was a while ago, and we haven't seen that bubble burst just yet. No. So in, in let's no, we had in, yeah, that, that's come to the other part of my argument. In the last ten years, we've seen a seven percent increase in the number of properties in the UK, which is roughly in line with a little bit more than the uh, increase in population actually, but a fifteen percent increase in loan size. And a 30% increase in property values, in, in, in re- all of that in real terms. So 7% more properties, 6%, uh, 15% increase in the loan size, 30% increase in real terms in, in, in property values. So that's an unsustainable bubble, surely, isn't it? Yeah. So but, but again, we, we, I, I totally accept the argument that this is the, the freedom of debt. And, and actually, interestingly, the Bank of England, who, of course, in the UK introduced a mortgage review a few years ago to say, look, you, you've got to stress test your customers as a bank and you're you're going to have to peg your multiple in terms of debt versus income at a particular figure. They, they announced fairly recently that they're going to relax that. So they're out to consultation right now. And I know, you know, Steve, you might be horrified by that. Um, mm. that, that have we not learned the lessons of the past? And, and look, look, clearly not. But, but what we must factor in, whilst I completely accept its freedom of debt, and debt as a percentage of GDP has increased colossally. It is only because of the, the, the serviceability of that money that has allowed people now to borrow more because it costs them the same. If you look at house prices versus wages versus the cost of servicing a loan, over the last 30 years, roughly speaking, affordability, so not, not house price ratio to wages, but affordability based on a, actually being able to service that loan, the cost of that servicing, is about the same as it was 30 years ago. Yeah, so is that what's happening here, Steve? Is that why the bubble is not bursting? It's just because banks have had to keep interest rates low uh, and obviously are very fearful of raising them. I mean, that could be why the bubble bursts. We might find it in the next, you know, in, in the United States by the end of this year, for example, we could be at 3% or 3.5% uh, interest rates the way the, uh, the the Federal Reserve is going at it, like 50 or 75 basis point increases per meeting is what they're forecasting over the next few meetings. Uh, I mean, the Bank of England being nowhere near as high uh, harsh as all of that but isn't that what's what's stopping the bubble bursting just interest rates are so low so irrespective of how much debt Um, you have to see what is the tail and what is the dog here and in this particular case what's the tail that's causing is is the is the falling rate of interest the the dog the the dog or its tail and when i when i look at the data again what's causing interest rates to fall is the rising level of household debt private debt in general Uh, as as household debt's gone up particularly, but also corporate debt, as it's gone up, uh, the banks and the central bank has been unable to put in, keep interest rates at the old levels. We, we used to have, you might remember back in the, um, in the 80s and 90s, or the 80s and 70s and 80s, every, when a central bank met to make a decision about, um, about interest rates, it changed them by 1%. 
Now it changes it by one quarter of 1%. What's happened is this incredible increase in household debt. The one I country I know best is Australia. I'll go rapidly uh, mention that one. And the uh, level of household debt went from 20% of GDP in the 1980s to 120% now. And that, that is the, 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 the dog as this rising level of debt occurs because banks have been allowed to lend far too much money for irresponsible reasons. That's what's caused the central bank to be forced to drop interest rates, even if it doesn't know that's what's been doing it. And, and of course, governments love it, don't they? So governments love a buoyant housing market. Exactly. That's about, we definitely agree on that. <laughs> well, because it's a wonderful political benefit. Um, you know, And it, it's certainly true to say here that if you can get people into home ownership, they seem to statistically be more inclined to vote conservative. So it's certainly something that the Conservative yeah, Party yeah. like to encourage. Um, but of course, it then, you know, arguably, I think, has a benefit to the wider economy. You know, the, the reason that Rishi Sunak introduced, you know, what was an incredibly bold stamp duty holiday for an incredible period of time, you know, for a whole 12 months to wipe, you know, as much as £15,000 tax off of each transaction was, mm. he, he was totally unconcerned, I'm sure, about the fact that that could overheat the property market, which undoubtedly contributed to it. Yes, absolutely. Um, he doesn't care, does he? Because what he wanted to ensure is that people felt good about the equity in their homes, so they went out and either moved or bought more things for those homes because they felt good about that rising equity. Yeah, and that's the same thing globally. You find the same, the same effect in Australia as well, uh, and America, etc., etc. So it's been a global situation, and what, what we, I describe what we've got now these days is not the... Um, um, military-industrial complex, which is what Eisenhower called American economy back in the 1960s, but the financial-political complex. Uh, the politicians, uh, the only people they talk to are bankers. Uh, everything they do is about making bankers feel better off. And and because bankers are the ones who are providing the fuel for this bubble, it keeps on going. And, yeah, it's, that's absolutely been the cause of, of, of that the, the, the political level. But the question is, what's the engine driving it? And why, and why is it so hard to see? And I've got uh, the, the analysis that I've done, which we'll you know, talk about when we get to the question, um, just shows that if you want to have continually rising house prices compared to consumer prices, uh, so you know, house prices rising faster than, than CPI and rising faster, therefore, from most incomes, you've got to have an accelerating level of mortgage debt. And this is the, the, the punchline for me. Nothing can accelerate forever. Well, and explain why that is. Because we, okay, uh, okay. Uh, because at the moment, it, it seems like we're, we're happy to see uh, a moderation in, in the growth. You know, we, we, we feel as though we're still better off if we see, so long as it's going up. Although we do have that point now about inflation, you know. And, and, and I wonder whether we're going to see that, you know, in real terms, we are going to see house prices fall, fall this year. And that becomes the first warning sign for people, I guess. Yeah, well, I can explain the basic logic, and it's everybody agrees supply is relatively fixed for housing compared to anything else. Okay, you, it's easy to make another pack of, of, of muesli bars. It's not easy to make another house. So supply is always going to be more rigid uh, in housing than virtually any other uh, sector of the economy. So mainly, what's causing your fluctuations is fluctuations in demand. Now, where does the demand come from for housing? Uh, you, un, unlike muesli bars, uh, you don't buy muesli bars with a mortgage. Okay, that's coming out of your income. So the predominant source that people have for buying a house is money they borrow and in, under Maggie Thatcher's control since 1982 in the UK and most of the rest of the world and the, the Western world, it's from banks rather than building societies. 
when banks borrow, when you borrow from a building society, a building society has a bank account at a bank, and you borrow, that money goes down, yours goes up. There's no change in the total amount of money. When you borrow from a bank, a bank says, that's a great idea, here's a million quid to buy that place in, in Shrewsbury, uh, and by the way, you owe us a million quid. So their assets rise, which is that, the, our debt to them, and the money supply rises, and that's what causes economic growth courtesy of uh, mortgage lending. Now, because it's created, because it's created new money for the economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the fundamental demand for a new for new housing in the aggregate in the, any country is new mortgage debt, which is a change in mortgage debt. And that's what gives you the, the main determinant of the level of prices. Do a bit of mathematics called differentiation, work out what the rate of change of one is the rate of change of the other, and that then su- suggests that the rate of change of new mortgage debt is what drives the change in house prices. And when I do the numbers on that seemingly esoteric argument in the UK, from 1969, which is before Maggie did the change until now, the correlation between those two uh, factors is uh, 0.57. Now, most economists are pretty happy to get a 0.3 correlation between some intricate economic model they've built and the economic data they're trying to predict. Right. This is so those two factors, two just, just so we're all on the same page, those yeah. two factors are yeah. the rate of house price growth and the rate of mortgage debt. Yeah, and that's what's driving it. So, so long as house mortgage debt is accelerating, you're going to get uh, rising house prices. Now, the, the so the more, in, sim- in simple terms, the more money that is available through banks, the easier it is for you to get a loan, the higher house prices will get. So, it's, so, it's so, so, more, so, yeah. people, so people are so keen to, on this fear of missing out, they're so keen to get on the, on the mortgage ladder that they'll just, they'll just, um, bid higher prices for houses or accept higher prices for houses because they can because the bank's going to give them a loan that's big enough. And it, it, it's, it's more you, com- humans aren't very good at understanding acceleration. You can be accelerating while you're slowing down because you can be slowing down more slowly. Okay, and so we don't see this. It, it, it complicates things for us not to see it as, as being a, a visible factor. But that that is the underlying factor is this acceleration in mortgage debt, and that can be maintained positive by dragging people back into the into the market. Um, uh, as we've done, like Australia's done time and time and time again with first home buyers grant this and 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 and, and discounts uh, for investors and so on, tax cuts and and that sort of stuff. Uh, it just keeps on dragging people back in and maintains that positive acceleration. But ultimately, you get to a point where it simply can't be done. But, but Steve, it doesn't mean that we won't see soft landings as a consequence of the free market sorting that out. I mean, we, it still doesn't mean an extreme, does it? It, it could mean an extreme. It doesn't have to because you can have a petering out. And if you look at, look, 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 for example, imagine you're making this argument in Japan. Okay. You wouldn't be doing very well. Now, you may come back to the demographics and say, well, Japan's had a you know, declining population, but its house price falls began in 1990. And after rising and very dramatically over the period from the 60s to the to the 80s, and actually from the 50s forward, when all sorts of demographic factors were in their favour. But the main thing was this huge increase in household debt. And then it plunged, and the house prices fell by ultimately by about 70-80%. So you can have long periods. And if you talk in Japan now, house prices always fall. And so it, it, I can understand people living in, in this window of data from 1982 on and seeing this rising house prices and extrapolating it forever. That's what humans do. But there's a fabulous data series you, you, most people haven't heard of called the Herringrach Canal Price Index. Do you guys both know where Herringrach Canal is? No, I've been on the Basingstoke Canal, but I don't think it's the same, is it? Really? Amsterdam. Yeah. Amsterdam. Yeah, it's a price it. index going back to the, at 
literally, I think, 1623. And we take a look at the, the real house price index. There have been periods where it rose for 90 years and periods where it fell for 70. And the financial, there are financial and other issues behind it. But until 1970, again, the price, the real price of housing in, in, um, in Amsterdam was pretty much a flat line, up and down, up and down, 60, 70 year periods, up and down. So if you, if you just look at the window of data you're in, and it happens to be when banks are on a bubble of some description, whether it's caused by Maggie Thatcher letting banks into where building societies used to be the only preserve as it was in the UK, or the incredible increase in the banking sector after we forgot about the Great Depression and the Second World War. That's the main engine. So the only you're gonna, you might get these continue rising house prices, but you've got to ultimately end up with always accelerating household debt compared to GDP. And that means ultimately, and it's not straightforward, that's why it gets complicated by ups and downs like the 2010 crisis. Uh, you get in, you push into an impossible corner where you simply, you know, you, you, it's almost impossible to entice people into further debt. And then that often tends, without, without government intervention, this is the trouble, the government can intervene in this asset market, which is the last place I want government intervention in. But that's where they go. Then you have that, you know, get to a, a jam and you can't go any further and then you will fall over and decline slowly. But often when they're not really even aware it's happening, you have a financial crisis like 2010. So the banks are driving this though, aren't they? Because if you... Because if, yeah, the banks are the driving if, if If you are a marketing guy at a bank and you need... The, the bank wants to make more money, interest rates are low, uh, you're getting less uh, interest payments for the size of a particular loan, so you're happy to see loans get bigger. You basically just want faster turnover because, I mean, it's a turnover margin business, isn't it? So you're saying we need higher, we need higher turnover now because the margins are smaller. Therefore, let's make more money available. The only thing is the proportion. If you look at the numbers though in in the UK, and okay, I'm not I'm not going back to uh, the 1800s doing this. I'm, I am looking at post Maggie's years, uh, or even just the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, the proportion uh, of the, the the mortgage to the, the loan to value ratio hasn't really changed a great deal, and it and it seems like it's sort of a relatively safe number. I was quite surprised actually. I mean, Russell, you might know this more than I do, but the the, the proportion of people getting a mortgage that's uh, more than ninety percent of, uh, of the value of the property is actually quite small in the UK. Look, I, I we're talking about the banks being to blame here. The, the, the banks are just a facilitator, right? So the banks are not throwing mortgage deeds and money at people as they walk past their branch offices. What, what's driving this is psychology. And as I said earlier on, culture. So yes, of course, the banks have to facilitate. So they have to- be But if you really up. want a house, if you see a house and you really want it, and you uh, and the bank says you can afford it. You're going to say thank you, bank. If the bank is there saying, no, well, no, actually, that's what I'm saying. So I think it would be a mistake to think it's the banks driving it rather than the the behavioural economics driving it. That that's where you need to know a bit about uh, financial dynamics. And, and Russell, and this this is the point that people don't understand uh, because most people think banks are what they call financial intermediaries. That's the line you'll read in any economics textbook. And they're not financial intermediaries, they're financial originators. When they give you a loan, they put money in your bank account, which creates money, and they put a debt against you in their asset column, which creates additional debt. So they're actually pumping the system. And so long as they're willing to pump more in, and that, and that it's a two-way, I agree it's a two-way system. The bank has to agree to give a loan. The borrower has to accept to take it on. But that capacity to pump the money supply is what causes these bubbles. Now, if it was housing, if it was building societies, then that doesn't happen. Uh, you'll get fluctuations, 
but you won't get a trend in the level of household debt. Now, that's that's why I come back to the level of household debt. But don't we, aren't we looking at that the wrong way around? So we, we, we keep talking about how the banks are giving and the consumer is taking. It, it's not that way around. It's the consumer that by way of their behaviour and their penchant for home ownership and their desperation for all things consumer goods, they are dictating, they are pulling, and the banks are falling in line. So we, 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 this conversation is almost taking the shape of its, you know, the banks are the villains, which, which look, generally they are, except. Um, <laughs> but the, the, banks are, the banks are almost just sticking money into an account and saying, hey, look, there you go, now go and spend it. It's not that way around. I think psychology drives the facilitation of the loans through the banks. It would be true. That would be the case if we we're talking about going getting on your credit card. And when you look at credit card data, that's pretty much flatlined. It goes up, it goes down. The country have got best data for that in Australia. But it was 10% of GDP roughly in 1960, and it's 10% of GDP roughly in 2020. So when it comes to consumer debt, you're right. What drags people in is household debt because they think, oh, the house prices are going to rise. And who tells them the house prices are going to rise? Obviously, the real estate agent, but also the banks until such time as they start collapsing. So what you get is it's the easiest thing for banks to create more debt with is the housing market. And the and that's brain debt. You don't need to go and analyze whether somebody's in, uh, you know, new technology is going to function. You say, is bricks and, are bricks and mortar increasing in value? And you, and you get the overall psychology house prices always rise. That's what leads into it. And then when you look at who's, what's going on, when a, when a bank negotiates with a, with a borrower, the bank's got, you know, a staff of a couple of thousand, uh, you know, so-called uh, research experts on the topic, uh, you know, PhDs in this, that and the other. Uh, the, the, you know, we talk about the quant sector, etc., etc. You've got mum and dad on the other side. And there's a tendency for mum and dad to trust the experts. Well, they're not experts and they're not, they're not um, independent. So, yes, I do say it's the banks. They're not actually even aware of it to some large degree because I've spoken to enough bank uh, executives to know that most of them, about 90, 98%, don't understand that banks create money. Um, but when you look at it, this letting finance, private debt get out of control is what causes financial crises. And it's normally manifest in a housing bubble. And a, a, a great friend of mine who is an ex-banker called, a great name, Richard Vague, least vague person I've ever known. But Richard did an analysis going back one and a half centuries of about eight major countries around the world, found about 150 crises. And every last one uh, was a housing bubble. And I think virtually every last one of those almost was a property bubble. We, we talked about deregulation just now. You know what will happen if the banks start to tighten their belts and therefore, as a consequence, everybody else's belts are tightened. These days, because of free markets, lack of regulation, innovation, that prop tech thing that keeps popping up, certainly over here in, uh, in, in the UK, you're going to get other players step in to fill the gap left by the banks. So, they, they, you know, and I don't just mean the bank of my dad. I mean, other institutions fueled by technology, for instance. Right, but they don't, but they don't have this ability to create money. They have to, those, they, they, those other institutions have to have resources, money that people have paid in for them to be able to loan out, whereas banks create money. That's, uh, you know, and that's, that's not a... That's the fundamental difference. Mm. So that's so they you know so they're at a disadvantage on that. Just on this idea that if prices always go up, I mean everyone if if we were sure that house prices would always go up, we would always invest in property, wouldn't we? And the only thing that would stop that happening would be banks saying, "Ah oh, no, it looks like this is not the value of this property." 
but they value the property based on the fact that house prices are always rising. So it's a circular argument, isn't it? Well, it depends on the loan to value, of course. I mean, we touched on that just now, but you know, the, the banks are pretty well covered. I mean, if you're a buy to let investor, you know, you're you're probably not going to get away with much more than a seventy percent loan to value loan. But that's a sec- but that's a second argument. So you're saying, well, okay, the loan to value right now is is not particularly good. But hey, guess what? Property values are, their property values are going up, so we'll give you a bigger loan because the value is higher. Positive now. feedback, yeah. What 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 system that Dynamics people call a positive feedback loop? The increase in house prices uh, reduces your uh, level of leverage, justifying more debt, which increases your house prices, which would ju- re- you know, and on on you go. And the, the most dangerous, if you stand, if you go to a rock and roll concert, we used to do those in our youth, and stand, and, and, the, and the, the singer puts the microphone too close to the speakers, whoom, this you know, huge increase, and then bang, it collapses. That's the positive feedback loop. And that's exactly what's talk going on between house prices, valuations, debt, and so on and so forth. And if you keep on doing it, you end up in a, in a country which is debt uh, hobbled and will ultimately have a crisis of some sort, which in the past has normally been a financial crisis like the no, two, 1930s or, or 2010. So you, you're kind of suggesting that this is going to hit a wall, as you know we know it has done a couple of times in, in history. What, mm. what are you suggesting then, Steve, is the alternative? What are you suggesting that the banks should be made to do? Because, of course, they're not going to do it of their own free will. What regulation? Good good, I, I, would say, good, I would say that my, one of my proposals is actually called the pill. And you, you, it, 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 two, three of our, two of us, three of us are old enough to remember what that actually stands for. But I call it property income limited leverage. And I would, because banks only can create money because they're given a government license to be a bank. So it's there's something the society does have, should have control over. And that rule would say the maximum amount of money anyone can borrow to buy a property, whether it's me or Prince Henry, um, is 10 times the annual rental of that property. Even if they're a buyer that isn't buying to rent? No, any, anything at all. Any property you're buying, whether you're buying it to rent, you're buying it to live in, you yes, know, answer, yes, it's the buying answer. it to leave it empty. But isn't that... But- but how, how come that, that, that rental value, there's going to be the same positive feedback loop, isn't it? That rental no, value no, is- it isn't, because rentals are based on income. Ultimately, people who are renting cannot afford to pay twice their income to rent the house. They've got a ceiling, and they don't care how far landlords push it, at some point, a tenant's going to say, I simply can't afford to live, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I, and when I was first in the UK, I stayed in the same place for four years with a lovely pair of landlords that... Um, I'll happily visit when I go back again. Their agent tried to put the price up 10% in the, in the very first year. I wrote saying, sorry, I'm not going to handle a 10% increase in one year when my income hasn't gone up at all. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull out oh, the rental. No, 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 keep it constant. And I stayed there for four years on the same rent. Um, so it, ultimately, rents are constrained by incomes. House prices are not. And I foresee if you, if you, can, if you tie the amount of money you can borrow to the rental income of a property, then you won't get sustained house price bubbles. Surely, though, if you restrict the amount of properties that can be bought, that also then impacts the buy-to-let market because there'll be a lack of supply in the rental market, which will push rental values up, which defeats the whole argument. No, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I think if, if, if renters, if people buying buy-to-let aren't doing it to make a profit on the rental income, then we're subsidising capitalists who are trying to lose money and get a tax break off the government. And that's what Australia has done, which is what's put it in a particularly shitty position over time. It's just, again, that's not that's not a free market. If you're a fan of a free market, you want people to make a profit by, se- by having a selling price higher than their, their cost, cost of inputs. 
um, not one where they're losing money and then getting a tax subsidy from the government. Yeah, I, th- I think that's less the case in this country, though. Isn't it? Most people who are by the letter trying, trying to do it at a profit rather than a tax loss. I mean, you tell me, Russell, but I mean, I think I think Australia's a bit unique in that, isn't it? Yeah, so in the, in the UK, I mean, bearing in mind, the, the typical landlord is not an institution. They're an individual or a couple or a family that own less than three properties. So they're, they're doing it, A, for the capital appreciation and B, for the yield. Uh, and, and it's not hugely profitable. I mean, that, those two things combined currently uh, are something around 7 or 8% per annum, probably. Well, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is let's not have the first one. Okay, not capital appreciation. The only capital appreciation that makes sense in housing is where you've bought a house next to somewhere like the Queen Elizabeth line, uh, and then that price rises because the Queen Elizabeth line is built, and that's where you make you'll make a gain. It's got nothing to do with the debt issues I'm talking about. But that again, you say, well, who should be getting that money? The the individual has how property value has gone and up in price because well, the, a- the country's paid a few hundred million billion dollars to build a new line. Exactly, that is a whole different story. Isn't it? We spend half an hour is, talking about is, that. Yeah. But if we if if we look at the yeah. amount of money that so there's 1.6 trillion pounds which is sitting on loan books from UK banks at the moment that's there's 13.3 million accounts for that so each person owes about 120,000 pounds 10 years ago we had um, about 15 million loan accounts so we've actually got less people borrowing now uh, with an average loan value of 80,000 so uh, in real terms allowing for inflation over those 10 years. And the, the size of the average loan has increased 15% in real terms. That's just in in 10 years. So presumably there's a spillover impact as well on, on the economy in that. So I know it's new money, but it's money that those people have got to pay back, and that's money that they're not spending in the broader economy. So this house price, I mean... You know, in a way, seeing these house prices fall might be a good thing because uh, it's you know it's it's going to release more money to be spent in, in a broader economy. Devastating! Devastating! So psychologically, for the 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 sixteen million people that own their own home in the UK, it will be absolutely devastating. You know, from from just a psychological perspective and the effect that has on the wider economy, it'll bang us into recession instantly. Mm. How's that a good thing? Well, I've got news for you on the recession thing. But but also, I mean, just longer term, it means if house prices are lower, then you're spending a lower portion of your income on house prices. That gives you more money to spend on other stuff. We've allowed banks to create far too much of our money supply, and the government's created far too little. So you've got to that's a trap, and you've got to get out of a trap. And just like the, the banks create money by whacking a loan against you on their asset column and giving you money in your deposit account, when the government runs a deficit, it puts money in your bank bank accounts, so the deficit actually increases the amount of money you've got, and they put money in the reserve accounts of the banks at the central banks. Now, that they can do that and then say to, to people, okay, if you've got debt, you've got to pay your debt down by the amount we've just given you. So you don't get any change in the money supply. You mean that the amount backed by reserves goes up, the amount backed by loans goes down. Now, what then can be done is that as happens now, when the government runs a deficit, after it, the deficit creates money, it also creates additional reserves. Reserves are nothing for the banks, and they're expected to run the deposit system, which is expensive. So the government sells bonds to the banks, and the, bonds, the banks buy the bonds with the reserves. So the reserves go down, their bonds go up, and they get an interest rate yield on the bonds. And that's why they used to call banking the 636 business. You, know, you borrow at you, 363, you borrow at 3, lend at 6, and you're on the golf course by 3 o'clock. And that's the sort of financial sector we need, not the bunch of masters of the universe n- nerds who don't know what the hell they're doing, we've got right now. So I mean, just getting back then to, to Russell's question, Steve, uh, you know, how, how do we get a soft land? If we're, if we're in a position now where we've got uh, rising household debt, 
um, and uh, and if we see that slowing, not even decelerating, but we see the rate of that growth starting to slow, then we're going to we're going to see that is going to have an impact on property prices and more to the point in the economy. Uh, how do we stop? How do we get a soft landing out of this? That's the favoured term at the moment, isn't it? How do you get a soft landing rather than, uh, you know, as Russell described, that situation where people see their house prices go down and they go, oh, we're not as rich as we thought we were. We're going to cut back on spending in the economy tanks. Well, that's that's why the idea of um, bringing in both what they call the pill, property income limited leverage, is to control on banks in the future. But for now, to make up for the fact that we let banks create too much of the debt, the money supply and government to literally give everybody an identical amount of money to reduce the level of household debt by something of the order, because this is how high household debt now, of 100% of GDP would not create any additional money. It would be used to cancel loans and create reserves and then create bonds out of that uh, to put banks back to the 363 business. So that would mean you could get, you could, you could still, you'd bring house prices down, but you'd also bring down the debt that backed those house prices so people wouldn't fall into negative equity. And the deadly point, the thing that really causes crisis is not falling house prices, is people finding themselves in negative equity and being forced to sell and then being wiped out. And that's what leads to the, that's, that's what was the, the real punch for the, you know, the, the, the house price crash we all know did happen, the American house price crash from 2008 to about 2014. We've had, we've had, we've had periods of you negative know, equity yeah. in the UK though, Russell, because I, uh, I remember, I, I wasn't in the housing market at the time, but I remember, uh, my, my brother buying a house and uh, yeah almost straight away the house was worth yeah. less than he we paid for it and yeah. for, but, but, but only only twice in history as i said earlier you know mm. the, the most in fact the the property recession of the early 90s took quite some time to shake itself out you know we we saw the effects of interest rates and a reduction in supply of money that really hitting house prices from kind of 1990 onwards and and you know, I, I was I was a, a young estate agent or youngish estate agent at the time, and I remember I remember that not really coming back until about 1995, 96. And then, of course, we saw a shorter period of recovery, but you know, quite a pronounced uh, one in 2008-9. Where, of course, you know, if you bought a property in 2007, uh, you were definitely in negative equity for the next few years for sure. But you know, if I'm answering the question that Steve answered, I would say, look, let's be careful of the unintended consequences of the, the the inverted commas benefit of bringing house prices down to what is theoretically a palatable level. Uh, and I would argue very strongly and very simply that the free market generally is not broken and that should prevail. Steve, we'll go back to you for the final point. It's not really a free market, though, is it? Because no, not, no, everyone, it, can cre- it's, it's not, not free- everyone can create money. Yeah, the, the, the crazy thing is do you, free markets and apples, oranges, pears and bicycles and cars is, make sense, okay? Free markets and assets and money do not because banks can create money and governments get caught up in letting them do it and you get what I call the financial political complex coming out of it and you get a distorted economy that doesn't produce the apples, the bicycles, the cars, etc, etc because everybody's too busy getting trying to make a profit by speculating on rising house values and then it ultimately falls over and even the Great Depression by the way was a house price collapse. Uh, that preceded a house price bubble and collapse. This is Richard Vague's work. So we get ourselves caught in the house price bubbles and collapses, and it's about time we realise why that happens and stop it happening. So it's not the house price that's the concern. It's the level of household debt as a consequence. It's the debt. It's the debt. And the house prices suck us into debt. And then we find ourselves caught in a deal with the devil, and the devil doesn't negotiate. So if house prices moderated just over time, Mm. 
and uh, and and therefore our debt moderated over time. Wouldn't that be a soft landing? It could be. You could you could get a you could get a soft landing, but normally it's a plunge. You talked about that positive feedback loop beforehand, which drives things up. It's also one that drives down. If you have falling house prices and people have less equity, they try to liquidate. That causes house prices to fall, and you get this. I want to eliminate that feedback loop because that's what's causing the trouble. And the again, the thing is, for, and this is where our, our mentality, what we call history, comes in. We look at an incredibly short time period and call it history. I'm looking at that Heron Grush Price Canal Index right now, and in 1812 it was 68. In 1892, which is a hell of a long time, it's 267, house prices always rise. Go to the other end, look at a 1732, it was 358. By 1812, as I said, 68, house prices always fall. If we just look at our own experience and leave out that long trend, we don't see what's actually driving it. Right. Well, I hope, uh, for all our sakes, the word moderation is is where we end up. I'm sure with Boris Johnson, the moderation will be the trend. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's another debate altogether. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't matter how big the house is, so long as it's a party house. <laughs> All right, well, look, and you're Reed Russell, so, I mean, just as a, you know, with your real estate hat on, I mean, you must be expecting that prices are going to moderate and, and potentially they're going to fall below inflation. I mean, if we see inflation, you know, I mean, the, 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 you know, not the CPI, but the retail price index could be up 11 or 12% in this country. Yeah, if we're sitting here in 12 months' time, you know, what, what do I expect house prices to have gone up by 4 to 5%? What's inflation going to be? I, I, More than that. It's, the, the irony is, of course, that all of these interest rate increases to moderate consumer spending, uh, you know, it hasn't, won't work. Well, it, it, but it hasn't really accounted for the fact that most of the rises in inflation are not caused by things that the consumer has any control exactly. it's, over. It's supply-driven and, and energy-driven, so they're not going to make one jot of difference. But anyway, that is definitely a discussion for another day. Good to talk, Steve and Russell. Uh, uh, we'll catch you again next week. Steve and uh, Russell, good to have you on. My pleasure. Thank you. Agreed. Nice to meet you, Russell. Well, a free yeah. podcast this week. Uh, normally you have to pay if you want to listen to the long version. Uh, we're back to charging next week. So we've got to earn a living somehow. Next week, we are going to look at can West Western nations reindustrialize. If we have this new pact, this new West versus the autocrats pact, and then developing nations fitting in somewhere in between all of that, are we going to have to do more domestically? Uh, and does that mean we have to reindustrialize? And can we actually do that? Rely less on supply chains and more on domestically produced goods? How is that going to work out for us? We'll look at that next week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. 